0: Morning. I had so much fun writing last week that I thought I'd do it again, and and it doesn't matter that I got several comments about bad handwriting. So we'll go for it. It's been a, a funny week. Our high school group is uh, is at Creation, and Creation is a like a Christian music festival uh, at the Gorge in Washington. And so my wife went up for the first three days with the high school group. And so it was me and the kids, uh, and Esther, my middle daughter, her fourth birthday was kind of in that time, and I got it wrong. <laughs> I, with Tamara out of town, I celebrated her birthday on the wrong day. It's the right week, though, uh, if that counts. Um, but so it's been kind of a funny funny week that way. A um, couple things. You you probably on the way in got a little a postcard of the the next Uganda trip, the team that's going to be going out. And we're thinking that you can put that on a cork board or, or just put a magnet on it on your fridge. And we're just asking that you guys just be praying about that trip in advance. And then in a couple of weeks here, in about mid-August, we'll have um, actual sign-up sheets for those of you who are interested in applying for that next trip to Uganda. So that's kind of what's going on there. And then uh, secondly, uh, last Sunday we had 260 of us here um, in the theater. And so last... September, our first public meeting was on in the evening at the Ameritel. We had sixty people, so um, kind of a crazy deal. And and I finally got the hint that that we need to do something to free up seats. And so probably on August the nineteenth, either we'll be in a bigger theater if Regal will let us, or we'll probably be um, pioneering an eight o'clock service for those of you who like to suffer for God. and so you'll be hearing more about that. But so just if you're crammed or if uh, if mom is sitting with one kid in one area and dad's sitting with another kid in another area, we apologize and, and that's going to be changing here soon and, and we'll just try to start up another service and get going that way. So a couple things that way, but let's go ahead and pray and then we'll dive into James. Uh, Father, just asking that you would be with us this morning, that you would somehow touch our hearts to... to Allow us to know who we are in light of who you are. That we would understand this whole life of ours just a little bit better. And that coming out of here, we would just have an excitement to live as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so James, we're in the book of James on week. Uh, I'm not sure. It's, uh, we've been in it for quite a while. And we're doing kind of the second week on faith and works. Faith and works. And that's chapter 2 starting in verse 14. And if you remember, James is probably the first New Testament book written. It's probably the oldest of the New Testament books. So this is really early in the life of uh, the faith community there in the New Testament after Christ. Um, And James is writing to a scattered... uh, Populous to lots of people, kind of as a, a pastor would write to uh, a whole bunch of different churches, one letter, one generic letter. And I kind of hope that you're getting the chance to read through James and experience it for yourself. It's called wisdom literature because it is so practical. And so it, it kind of fits in there with the book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and other books that are in that wisdom literature category. And this chapter here, we talked about it being one of the most discussed and debated paragraphs or sections of Scripture, of all of Scripture, for the last 2,000 years. And so let's go ahead and read it, and then we're going to recap a little bit. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 2, it says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? And in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And just to recap a little bit where we were at last week, if you remember, we kind of made a distinction between cheap grace, which really wasn't grace at all. And costly grace, and and on the back of your bulletin today, there's a paragraph from Bonhoeffer kind of talking about that. But cheap grace is treating uh, this relationship with God as if it's 99 cents with an X through it, and it's like God is so desperate for us just to take and say, sure, God, I believe you exist, that he's almost willing to just give it away, and then it doesn't really matter, and nothing really matters after that. He doesn't care. And that's not the picture at all we get. In John chapter 6, Jesus uh, talks to his this big group that's following him. And he starts talking about, I'm the manna sent down from heaven. I'm like the, the manna in the Old Testament with Moses that fed people. And, and I'm that manna, and you got to eat me. And he's talking this kind of weird language. And half of the people leave, or so many of the people leave, that he even looks at his best friends and says, are you going to leave too? And Jesus never put an X through the price of a relationship with him or a relationship with God and said, I'm just so desperate to sell this or give it away. Just just please, just take it. Just have it. Nothing else matters. It's a cheap view of grace. And it's a it's a view of grace that we, I think, see in our culture all the time. People go around calling themselves Christians. And we look at them and we're like, well, you, you don't look any different than anybody else. But what's Christian about you? And those people have a view of grace that's just cheap grace. I can just say I'm a Christian, say yeah, and kind of um, acknowledge it, take it for 99 cents with the, you know, the X in it, and that's good enough. And what James is saying is no, grace is costly. That kind of grace, that cheap grace, isn't real grace. And so he says it, that kind of faith, faith without works, is dead. Okay. So we talked about a little bit more. How did that cheap grace get in there? And we drew a little picture, um, other side. And uh, and it was this kind of deal that everybody's or a lot of people have seen to illustrate our relationship with God. God is over here, and man is over here, and because of sin, we're separated from God. And so, the cross of Christ is that bridge between man and God. And I said this is really helpful on one level because Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. He died for us. Uh, the whole idea of him being on the cross was so that sin would be paid for and that man could be with God. But I said this also brings in a problem, and the problem is this. We get a view where as we move across this, now Jesus is behind us, and it's just us and God, and, and, and everything's kind of done, and it makes a cheap kind of picture of who Jesus is in our life. And so if you'll turn with me, at the very end we brought this up and I want to look at it a little bit. I'm just kidding. Um, My Bible. All right. In uh, Genesis, turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28. And it's the story of Jacob and so in Genesis 28, and beginning in verse 10, we read this. Genesis 28:10. Jacob left Beersheba, and he set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head, and he laid down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So the idea of the dream is is, uh, Jacob is down here sleeping on a rock. Heaven is up here, and he sees a ladder, a stairway. Um, And he doesn't climb that stairway, but angels are ascending and descending on that. A bridge has been opened between heaven and earth, and the ministering angels are allowed to connect Um, This man or, or earth and heaven and they're kind of going up and down that way. Does that make sense? Okay, now turn to john with me The gospel of john fourth book in the new testament john chapter one And this is early in the ministry of jesus and jesus is kind of calling some of those original followers So john chapter one We'll start in verse 47 When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Right? I'd love to have people say that about me someday. You know, like here is the real deal. I love that. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I I prophetically was able to see you, Jesus is saying. And Nathaniel declares, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He's just so ready to believe that Jesus kind of prophesies or tells him who it was. Uh, Nathaniel was under a tree. And his brother kind of comes up uh, or his friend kind of comes up, tells him, you got to come meet this man, Jesus. And Jesus says, I saw you under the tree before so-and-so even come and told you where I was. He's like, wow, you know that? Wow, you are the son of God. And Jesus marvels at his faith, and this is how he replies. You believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, just such a small little thing? You shall see greater things than that. And then Jesus added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's only two verses in the whole Bible Where angels ascend and descend. The one we just read in Genesis, and then this one with Jesus. Jesus is is a, you know, he's talking to a a Jew, and this is one of the the biggest stories in Jewish storytelling. I don't know. Uh, And so he's going to know that. Nathaniel's going to know that. And Jesus says, "You know what? I'm 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 kind of making a connection here." Jacob's ladder, heaven, uh, open up, angels ascending and descending. You wanna know what's gonna be great? You wanna, you wanna know what's gonna be really amazing? If you wanna really marvel, heaven's gonna open up and angels gonna ascend and descend on the Son of Man, on Christ, Son of God. Okay. Now here's the kicker. Jacob's ladder, we don't climb it. Okay. Um, Led Zeppelin got it wrong. You don't climb a stairway to heaven. Uh, And and if you remember that song, Jacob's Ladder, we are climbing Jacob's Ladder. We don't climb Jacob's Ladder. Jacob's Ladder is a bridge so that there can be a connection and a relationship between heaven and earth, between God and man. We don't climb up it. It's there on God's doing. God did it so that there can be this relationship. And Jesus is saying... I now am that connection between heaven and earth. I'm the thing that God is doing that's going to bridge this gap. And so it's not a bridge like we drew in the last thing where you walk across it and then where's Jesus? Well, he I, you know, I I accepted him so now he's behind me. This is a different bridge which is huge. It's a it's a mediating thing. It's it's Jesus always stands in a relationship between God and us. He's a big deal. And so I kind of talked about the language, Jesus, in my heart, that that's language that's not in the New Testament. The language in the New Testament is that we are in Christ. That God reached down and somehow is doing this work and he puts us in Christ so that we're able to have this, this connection and this relationship with God. And so the first thing is simply this. Faith leads to works, Because genuine faith sees Christ as the leader or the king or Lord. However you want to put that. The Christians were first called Christians at the church in Antioch, the ancient church in Antioch. And up until that time, they'd been called followers of the way. There's not a sense of when we just accept cheap grace and say, I'm going to pray a prayer and say, yes, God, I understand. And that's, that's it. And now I'm done. When we accept what God is doing, we now become followers of Jesus Christ. Our whole life, every minute, every second, is radically different than what it was. We are now followers of Jesus Christ. And so genuine saving faith is going to lead to works because it's the nature of saving faith to put us in a relationship with Jesus Christ where we follow that's why the baptism in two weeks is so huge. The picture Paul gives us in Romans is, is as you are baptized and you go down into the water, it's symbolic of dying to your old self. Okay, Going down under, dying to your old self. And then he uses the language, and then you are resurrected in Christ. So you, you kind of go down and say, you know, I'm going to die to who I was, and I'm going to come back up as a follower of Jesus Christ. And everything's going to be different. And so when we become true Christians, when we have true saving faith, it's going to work because it's costly grace and we're going to follow Jesus Christ. The second thing is this. Um, True faith works, leads to works, because true faith gets the gospel. It gets the gospel. Let me just read another one of these verses over again in James. James is using logic here to just try and say, can't you get it? Okay, if you have faith without works, it's like a brother or a sister um, going to a brother or sister who doesn't have clothes and doesn't have food. And you say to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but you don't give him any clothes. You don't give him any food. And what good is that? What good is that? True saving faith is gonna is gonna be one where you get the gospel, and when there's a reason to do something logically, it's just right there. You can see it. You're gonna be compelled to act. You're gonna be compelled to act. Now, the the big whoop to do about this is uh, about this chapter. I keep saying it's a big hot chapter in the debates, and this is why. I think I understand. I think I think it's pretty clear what James is saying, but. Look at what Paul says in Romans. He says this, Ephesians 2, um, 8 and 9. For it is, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. God did it, not by works so that nobody can boast. Not by works, faith alone. Now listen to, let me just read it and then we'll put it up there. If we continue on in what James is saying here uh, in verse 18, he says this, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that. What what good does that do? You don't have a relationship with God. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Now here's this verse. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. Okay, those seem pretty contradictory, don't they? When you put them up there like that. They seem so contradictory that Martin Luther when in the 1500s when the Reformation was going and all there was was the Latin Vulgate and there hadn't been a, a Bible in, in a language that anyone could read for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And he, uh, while he was stowed away in the Wartburg Castle because there was threats against his life, he translated in a number of months the whole New Testament into German. And then he went on and translated the whole Bible now here 's what Luther did. Luther came to understand the true nature of of salvation by faith alone by grace, because he was a professor and he was a uh, and he uh, Wittenberg there 's a little castle church and Um, The guy that owned it wanted to have this big university because Germany has always been about the intellect. So he started it. Luther comes there. He's teaching theology. And he goes through the book of Romans and Ephesians and sees these verses about faith alone. And it's not by works. And he's in a church at that point, the Catholic Church, where you can buy salvation, pay money for it. You can get a writ of indulgence. You can get credit by purchasing it like a, a monetary transaction. And all these things are going on. People are getting salvation in all these different ways. And he's reading Paul and all of a sudden Luther's like, it's by faith alone through grace. Okay? It, it, it was so huge for him that that realization changed him completely and touched off the whole Reformation where the, all of Europe kind of splits into two. Okay? That's no small thing in Luther's life. And so then when he gets to James... How do you think Luther felt when he says, when he reads, it's not by faith alone? Freaked Luther out. So when Luther was writing the German New Testament, he called James a right straw epistle. straw as in like thorny, I don't know what to do with it. And he put it at the back of his German New Testament in an appendix. Okay, he just, I don't know what to do with this. And so he shoves it off to the side. Okay, so this is no small issue. Now, the, I think... Um, we can leave these verses. I think when we understand what James is saying, though, we understand the context of the whole book of James. When James is talking about works, he's not talking about earning God's favor. Okay? When Abraham took Isaac and was going to go sacrifice him, he was responding to something that God had told him to do. God said, go sacrifice your son, and, and I'll, I'll make a way out. Abraham says, I trust you, God takes his son and he goes and does this. And so in Genesis it says God considered it, counted it, righteousness what he did because of his faith. Abraham wasn't going and doing something to earn God's favor. He was acting out of his trust that he had a relationship with God already. Does that make sense? What Paul's talking about is your works, your good deeds, if you think you're a good person, okay, Remember sin and the other diagram down here? You might be a good person, but there's still sin. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't climb Jacob's ladder. You can't earn salvation by working. You can't do it. And that's what Paul's talking about. And what James is talking about is if you really are connected with God and if you really are saved and you really trust him and you've died to the old self and now you're following Jesus Christ, that out of that, you're going to naturally respond in a certain kind of way. You're not just going to be all talk. You're going to live it. And so James is doing a completely different thing. I I went to college in the South uh, where NASCAR is above God and, uh, And I'll tell you one thing. You can wear all the NASCAR garb you want. That doesn't mean you are a NASCAR fan, okay? If you are a NASCAR fan, it is in here at a different level that none of us can understand, okay? And you can wear a Dale Earnhardt t-shirt and it doesn't make you a NASCAR fan. And that's what Paul's saying. doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't make you the real thing. Now, here's what James is saying, okay? James is saying this. If you do claim to be a NASCAR fan, if you really are, a NASCAR fan, it's going to show. There are more bad puffy hats for sale at gas stations in the south um, than you could ever imagine. And if you really are a NASCAR fan, you're going to have a belt buckle, or you're going to have a t-shirt with sweat stains, uh, you're going to have a puffy hat. Um, It's just going to come out of you. Okay? And so Paul's coming at it from one angle, and he's saying you can't earn it. And James is coming at it from another angle and saying, if it's real, it's going to be evident. Does that make sense? I love the movie um, Pay It Forward. And we don't have time for a clip, but you got the little kid. And for a school project, he invents a way to kind of change the world. And he says, you do something so huge for somebody, something they could never do for themselves. And when they go to pay you back, you tell them, you can't pay me back. You have to pay it forward. You have to then go and do something amazing for somebody else. Does that make sense? And when they go to pay you back, you say, no, you can't pay me back. you got to pay it forward. And to me, that's always been, like, ever since I saw that movie, the picture of the gospel. That God so loved us. He reached down. He initiated. He opened up this way. We didn't do it. And God has done for us something so huge that we couldn't have done for ourselves. And when we can't earn it back, we can't pay it back. I don't have enough money to say, God, thanks for that leg up. Let me pay you back for it. I can't do that. But what God asks is that we pay it forward. And so the idea is this. When we understand the love of God in our life, we want to love. Love begets love. And grace begets grace. It's the other way around, too. If you've ever seen a kid that's getting getting beat on too much, what does he start to do? You know, you, you look in when he's playing with his friends and he's hitting his friends, you know. Um, We reproduce kind of what's big in our life. And when we are loved by God, we're going to love. When we understand the nature of grace that God did it, then we want to grace others. Does that make sense? So here's an illustration of how it's working at Antioch. Um, Two guys, Kevin Meyer, one of them, uh, comes to us on a Thursday and says, you know what, um, God, I, I'm, I'm not one of these guys that says God speaks to me a lot, yada, yada. But but man, God's speaking to me. He's putting homeless ministries on my heart. Do you know how many homeless there are in Bend? And do you know what's going on? And it's not just guys, it's families and, and this kind of thing. And he's like, we got to do something about it. And I was like, all right, well, that's cool. Uh, let me know what you want to do. And, and then that Sunday, a guy by the name of Mike Byler married with kids uh, comes to me he says, you're not going to believe it. At the end of this last week, I'm in Madras. This couple comes in that couldn't afford food. I bought them a meal, and God wouldn't let me walk away from that. By the time I get back to Bend, my mind's kind of going, and he'd started thinking about where can I get involved with homeless ministries and taking his kids down to one of the homeless shelters, you know, and, um, and, and his heart is stirring in this area. And they don't know each other. And so we said, wow, all in four days we said, Mike, here's Kevin. And Kevin, here's Mike. And you guys get together and talk. And so they get together and start talking. And then Brandon Reynolds jumps in on the mix. And they've now created this ministry called The Bridge, which is bridging people in Antioch with a heart for meeting people's needs and then the needs that are out in the community that need to be met. Does that make sense? And so they're going to serve as this kind of a bridge. That's the picture. Of it coming out, I want to show you the video that, that they just made this week of the bridge. So, the bridge, You're the,
1: bridge talk to me. the bridge, the <laughs> bridge.
0: see it in the video, but uh, Melanie Meyer was actually giving haircuts to people who wanted haircuts. Let me just read you something else. This is uh, our middle school ministry. Linda took the families, the kids and parents to the Bethlehem Inn this past uh, week and sent me this email. We rounded up the troops, about 20 middle schoolers, a good handful of siblings and parents, and a group from the realm, about 35 people total. And we met at the Bethlehem Inn to grill up some sweet barbecue for the 30 to 35 people making home at the Bethlehem Inn. As half of the group was getting dinner ready, the other half was painting with the kids, playing checkers with the older gentlemen, playing Frisbee with whoever was interested, and bringing the joy of laughter to the inn. We cooked 60 plus burgers and 30 hot dogs, ate with them, and simply got to know them. And after dinner, we cleaned up and worked on four projects around the inn. When these projects were done, the plan was to make trails, but the middle schoolers started playing with the kids who live at the inn again, and we stayed another hour. These three little kids ended up stealing the hearts of G63. As I drove our G63 kids home, they were daydreaming different ideas we could do to love on these people at the inn. From what we we should cook for dinner the next time to how we could bring our projector and have a movie night with the inn to what it would take to throw a birthday party for the girl turning nine who lives at the inn. And I continue to get phone calls from kids in G63 with more ideas of what we should do through the night. It was a good reality check for us, but it is not going to stop there. Our goal is to go back once a month, cook dinner, and love on these people who are longing to be loved, to be laughed with, to be entertained by a simple game of checkers or paintbrush, to have their toenails painted, and simply to be shown there is a God who loves them. It was a night to be remembered. And I don't say, I, I, words are words and it's hard to pack more into words than what they just naturally have. But here's the idea. If we really understand costly grace, if we understand this relationship we've got with God, we're going to want to take what we've seen from God and pay it forward. It's just going to be in us. It's going to be a desire. It's going to be something that we think about during the day and at night and everything else. And that leads into this third part. Okay, Faith leads to works because genuine faith sees Christ as king. Genuine faith understands and gets the gospel. And lastly, faith leads to works because genuine faith um, was made to work. Because we were created to work. So turn with me to Ephesians, the same verse that Paul was using. And you'll see the other side of this. And I don't think Paul and James are at odds at all. So here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll we'll pick it up in verse 8 where we were before, and then we'll just keep it through verse 10. So Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul sees two different kinds of works. There's the ones that are trying to earn God's grace, or they're the, the kind of works that are motivated by God's grace, the kind that are trying to pay it forward. And Paul gets that and sees that and talks about it just like James does. And I don't think we need to get hung up on the language. And and Paul is saying you are God's workmanship. He made you, he crafted you, he knit you together, he created you. He knows every hair on your head, your gifts, your strengths, your talent, your personality, what you've experienced in life that could be used in a different capacity. And God knows all of it. And it was created so that you could do good works. And God has gone ahead and prepared in advance for us to do that. To me, that that blows me away. There's a, uh, if we pull this down, there's a, uh, someone showed me this timeline kind of thing. I thought it was neat. If we just map out our life and we say we've got a timeline and, and there's birth and death and somewhere in between, we have a relationship with God and, and it might be here for you or here for you. I don't know. Okay. The question is, why not at that moment, why wouldn't God just take us and yank us out? You're my kid. I love you. I saved you. Now, why don't you come be with me? Listen to what Paul says in Philippians. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I do not know i 'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body, and so therefore, convinced of this, I know that I will remain paul 's saying man it 's much better just to just to go. Let me move up the death thing, go home, be with God where there 's no tears, where I can actually have that relationship to the fullest. That is better. Um, Paul even says so so why does God not do it and Paul gives us that answer the same in Ephesians as he does here in Philippians Paul says this it is more necessary for you that I remain there is someone out there or a people group out there that needs you to stay alive because you and only you can can love on them or help them or save them the way they need to be saved. So the whole idea is, I get saved here. What does the rest of my life hold for me? To just go on watching TV until I die and, and work on my golf game, which I'm doing. Um, is that all I do? I just wait until I go and be with the Lord? This whole season here, remember we baptized, and we follow Christ, and the whole idea is that we're doing what he does, what we saw him do, what we read about, we love on people, and we work, and we serve, and we sacrifice, Paul writes elsewhere that he's being poured out like a drink offering, his energy, his life is being poured out, he's working so hard that it's like his very life is being poured out as kind of this honoring sacrifice to God. He's working so hard. And why is he working so hard? Because there's a you out there. Who is your you? Who, when you say, you know, it's better that I stay and live because of you. Who is that you? Is it your kids? Probably. I mean, that's probably a part of it if you've got kids. If it's not your kids, then who is it? We've got to be able to say it's better for me to live than to go be with Christ because you Need me? Who is your you? And that to me is the whole idea of. In America, we just we get all messed up, and we don't look like Christians because we don't have a purpose. We don't understand that we're here to work and here to save somebody that needs us, and and so we just kind of flounder. When I was in college, I let a when I was in seminary, I led a college group, and the the college guys, Christian college. But the college guys in our group were struggling. I mean, they were dying with temptation and habits and things they just couldn't deal with. And I remember I went to one of my mentors and I said, I'm lost. How do I deal with this? How do I help these guys? And he says, put them to work. I said, what do you mean? He says, most sin, most temptation is a byproduct of too much time. And of course, at that moment, I, I had a flashback to mailbox baseball when I was in high school. And I said, yeah. I I see that too much time on your hands um, leads to trouble. You know, high school guys are a great example of that. Uh, And he says, put them to work. If they fall into bed exhausted every night, if their mind when they're idle is is rolling around and around with ministry and how to make something happen, they're not going to struggle with temptation. They're not going to struggle with these habits the same way that they are when they're just sitting around idle. And I've found that to be true. And I think what we've got to call Christians to do, what we've got to call each other to do, what we've got to call ourselves to do is realize that when we get up out of those baptism waters that we are following Christ and our life is no longer our own. And we're here for a purpose, to do good works, to meet needs, to pay it forward, to love on people, to be involved in the kingdom of God on earth. So here's the other thing, lastly, that bugs me. Um, we teach our kids here, I've got three little girls, when we're talking about Christianity, almost all we talk about is heaven and hell. Everything seems to have to do with the afterlife. Do this heaven, do that hell. Um, And we talk, everything points all the way to here. And it brings up a lot of weird questions that are hard to answer, uh, especially for my six-year-old. And I think we've got to do a better job of calling people to the earth. God's got us here, and it's not an accident, and we have a reason for being here. The Lord's prayer is, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are the agents of change. We are the ones who, who God works through us to love on the people that he cares about. Why do people matter to us? Because people matter to God. And God uses us to show his love to them. We have a purpose for being here in this life. And we need to teach our kids better. We need to teach each other better that you have a reason for living. Who is your you? What is your ministry? What is the calling that God's putting on your heart? If it's not Bethlehem in, then what is it? What human rights justice issue out there is God shedding tears over that you need to wrap your heart around and go, you know, it's such a huge thing. It might take me 20, 30 years to deal with this. Where do you want to start investing your money to make a difference other than Just what we can get because we're raised in a culture as Christians, as Americans, where everything is about what we can get. And what this basically teaches us is we are here to give. We're here to give. It's better to give than to receive. That is why you are here. That's God's purpose for your life. If you've ever sat down and prayed, God, I wish I knew your will for my life. I look at all my circumstances. I'm I'm either single or I'm married or I'm not, but I'm just confused. I want to know your will for my life. At least at this level, I know that God would say to you, my will for your life is for you to do the good works that I've prepared in advance through Christ Jesus for you to do. I want you to work with me so that we can fellowship and make a difference My will for your life is that you would do the good works, creating it in advance for you to do. Let's pray. Father, uh, living out the Christian life is not easy. It's lonely. The answers are sometimes hard. You're not... always going to answer us the way we want to be answered. You've called us to seek for you, to knock, to, to draw near to you. You want us to initiate, to seek you out, to really care about what you would have us do, to, to show that by our energy that, that we want to actually follow, that we want the answers that you're going to give, that it's not just about us, that life doesn't revolve around our wants and our wishes and our dreams but that we really are committed to following. And so I pray as we strive and as we seek to find you, you would give us those little whispers, those little callings about the Bethlehem Inn or or Shepherd's House or Uganda or other places that you would whisper in our ear and give us a sense of what that goal is, who the you is that that we exist for. Father, we want to do that not just to earn Anything we know we can 't earn your love we can 't climb a ladder, we do it because we are compelled by your love for us to go and do this we 're compelled we 're motivated we 're driven. Father, just pray that you would make that big in our hearts, and somehow that that would just light a fire and since it is lonely, God, let this church be a community where we encourage each other and we fan into flame the passion that's in all of us, that we, we somehow help each other, because it's better two and three and a hundred, two and whatever is better than one, and we thank you for giving us a community to walk with, in Christ's name, amen. We're going to take the offering now, so if you've got that uh, slip, just go ahead and drop that in the offering basket, so.